following message is presented by Community Gospel Church in Bremen, Indiana. It is our great privilege to share this ministry with you. We in no way intend for this to be a replacement for the local church. It is our prayer that this would serve as a resource to help make Jesus Christ known in our congregation and other congregations gathering across the world. For more information about Community Gospel Church, visit www.communitygospelchurch.com. You know, I have a grandson that's very fond of using a, to me, a current day expression, the word sweet. I was with him uh, last week. I said, uh, Micah, do you want to play golf? He said, sweet. And every once in a while, when he shot a shot, he would say, sweet. When I shot, he'd say, bitter. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> and uh, so I looked this expression up, and it stated in the dictionary that, that this is an expression that's fairly new in our culture, introduced from New Zealand, where we might say, awesome, they say, sweet. But then I got to thinking, it's not, it's not that new. And we're going to find out that it's even used in Psalm 84. For instance, we talk about somebody having a sweet little baby. And then we develop a sweet tooth. Then we meet a sweet someone. And uh, then we buy a house and we got a sweet deal <laughs> on the house. And then uh, we call that place home sweet home. This word sweet. Well, it's interesting, and this is going to be the dominant theme of Psalm 84, that when the, the psalmist, which interestingly it says these were the sons of Korah, the musicians that wrote this for the choir master to be played on the getith, an eight-stringed instrument, um, that when they thought about going to worship God, they said, how lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord. Do you know what the word lovely is? in Hebrew, sweet. How sweet is your dwelling place, O Lord? You may have a King James that says, how amiable. Let me ask you, when was the last time you used the word amiable? <laughs> it's just not a word that we use, but sweet. How lovely, how sweet is your dwelling place, O Lord? The psalmist would tell us here today, thousands of years later, as we come together this morning, when you woke up and you found out it was Sunday morning and you were going to come and gather with the believers to worship, you should have thought, sweet, it's Sunday. Now, uh, all of us have had some bitter experiences in church, haven't we? And yet at the same time, as Jackie Gleason would say, what? How sweet it is, right? If uh, you even know who Jackie Gleason is, a few of you might. How sweet it is. Let's look at this psalm, and we are going, going to be able to cover the first uh, eight verses of it. But it says, How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord Almighty. You know, uh, there's a lot of names for the Lord in the Bible. This one's talking about a particular attribute, Almighty. Actually... If we knew Hebrew, it would say Yahweh El Shaddai. You know, uh, you may, when you hear that, think of the song by Michael Card, which in 1983 was the Dove Award Song of the Year, Artist of the Year, with the lyrics of the year, El Shaddai, El Shaddai, Almighty God, Almighty God. El Elyonah Adonai. 
O Lord Almighty, O God. You know, my daughter, she was very young when that song came out, and she was going around singing El Shaddai, El Shaddai, and then she would say something else. And finally I said, Shelly, what are you saying? She said, uh, what are those words? She said, El Shaddai, El Shaddai, stick a needle in your eye. <laughs> I said, no, I don't think so. But quite frankly, we had a girl sing this song at our church. And afterwards, I said to her, Sarah, do you have any idea what, you, what those words mean? She said, no idea. <laughs> and I think we ought to be a little careful. Oh, Lord, Yahweh, that word that... Jordan, if we said that at the Western Wall out loud, you'd need to go get your gun. <laughs> uh, you don't say that if you're a Jew. Uh, that's the, the unutterable expression of God. He's so awesome, you would never say, uh, the I am that I am. Yahweh is that name that God gave to Moses when Moses said, whom shall I say sent me? Tell them, the I am that I am hath sent thee. Because I've heard the cries of my people and I've come down to deliver them. He's the I am that I am, the self-existent one, but the one with a heart that cares about the cries of his people, the redeeming God. And he has the power to do so because he is El Shaddai. He is the almighty God. Now, that word is a very difficult word to really uh, understand, even in Hebrew. In Hebrew, there's, there's very few words, so one word serves many purposes. Some, if you looked it up, would say it means the mountain god, the one that's higher than all others in strength. And it's, he's unmovable. He's almighty. You have a translation may say the, the Lord of hosts, and that means the one of the angel armies with all his power for battle. It even is used in its root word for the word breast. The one that has everything I need, gives me life and substance. That's my God. How lovely, beautiful, amiable, sweet is your dwelling place. Yahweh, Shaddai. <laughs> Why? First of all, where is his dwelling place? Where does God dwell? About any place he wants to. <laughs> He's God, right? God, nobody builds a temple for God He's the creator of all things. The whole world is his, quote, temple. At the same time, when this was written, they would three times a year go to Jerusalem to the temple to worship God, and God condescended to man and says, okay, I'll make my presence known there. There'll be an ark, and there'll be a, a temple, and there'll be a holy of holies. And you come there three times a year for major festivals to worship me. Now, they worshiped locally, but then three times a year, there was this massive group of people that would come there. And as they would go, they would say, we're going to go where God dwells, where his presence is at. So for us today, we don't have to go to Jerusalem to a temple. We don't have to go anywhere. As Spurgeon said, if your right heart is right with God, then every place is a place of worship to the believer today. But how sweet it is to be in God's presence, to be where the almighty God is, to know the God who cares about us, wants to come down and deliver us as well. It goes on, it says, My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My soul yearns. When was the last time you said to your own soul something? You all through the Psalms, 
the David, the psalmist, they speak to their own soul. Oh, my soul, do this. Oh, my soul, do that. Oh, my soul, think this way. Very much in tune with their own souls, the longings of their own hearts. My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord, where the Lord is at. Whenever you see all capitals, that's Yahweh. If it's Lord, I really, my, my soul, what it really longs for is to be in God's presence. My heart, my flesh, cry out for the living God. You know, I got to thinking, that might be the real problem why sometimes coming together as believers today or coming into God's presence doesn't seem to be that sweet because we don't experience the living God. I don't know about you. I don't want dead religion. I don't want rules and regulations. I want a relationship. And that's what he says. What I'm really crying out for is God himself. Therefore, the place itself is not that important. It's who's at that place. So when you come together here at Community Gospel, what do you really want? You came for God. You, you came for the living God. You didn't come to go through some ritual some routine, you came because you said, if I go there, perhaps I'll find God, the living God. I'll have an encounter with the living God, the Almighty, because that's what our hearts really yearn for. They are in touch with what their true hunger and thirst is. I doubt if any of you have ever had this same experience, but I have, uh, and I think maybe it's the experience of all of us in reality. You get, wake up in the middle of the night, and you're hungry. You don't know what you're hungry for, so you go to the refrigerator, you open it up, and you stand there, and you try about five or six things, and you never did find what you wanted. <laughs> so you go to the cupboard, and then you go back to bed, and you're hungry. Now you're sick. <laughs> well, that's the condition of most folks. Deep in their souls, they're really hungry for God, but they don't know it. So they go to the refrigerator of life and try all kinds of stuff, they're never satisfied, and then they're just sick. <laughs> and they say, what is it that I'm really, really longing for? What do I want at the depths of my being? G.K. Chesterton said, when a man beats on the door of a brothel without realizing it, he's seeking God. <laughs> he's seeking what only God can give him. We all want the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home, verse 3 says, and the swallow a nest for herself where she may have her young, a place near your altar. Look at these different words. There's the word home, place, nest, place, near your altar. The altar's where the sacrifice was given, a place of forgiveness. As I look around, and as you can see here, and uh, you see if you do go to Jerusalem, the... Uh, Retaining wall, the western wall, uh, no, nobody can, no, uh, no uh, non-Muslim can go beyond that wall. But little sparrows and swallows build their nest in it. They go where you can't go. They go into closer to the holy holies than any of us can. That's, that's what they're thinking about. He says, I look and even a sparrow gets closer to God, gets built a, a nest close to the Holy of Holies. Swallows are there. It's what I long for. I want to have a place. I want to, I want to have a safe place near God. Safe place. You go to Martin's grocery store, and on the door it'll say safe place. 
in certain ways, I guess. Other stores, we're a safe place. Can I tell you something? There are no safe places down here. <laughs> we live in a dangerous world. Your only safety is in God. That's where we're safe. We're all vulnerable. Even a sparrow, God cares about. Even a swallow, he allows to come close. And he invites us to come close as well. His altar, where there's a place of forgiveness. Then the next verse says, Oh, Lord Almighty, my King and my God. First of all, we have this word, oh. Oh means everything within me. There's emotion involved. Uh, when, uh, dealing with God involves our entire being. Our entire being. You know, um, I, I learned something recently. I was teaching in the New Testament the word rejoice. And I thought, what does that word mean anyway? So I looked it up in the original. And in the original Hebrew, in its root, do you know what it means? It means to twirl. And then I looked it up in the New Testament. In Greek, do you know what it means in its root there? To jump up and down. And I was convicted. Do you know why? Because at the Western Wall, you'll see all kinds of people jumping up and down. These rabbis jumping up and down and twirling. Well, that's kind of strange. And then, quite frankly, here in the States, I've seen some people up on a band jumping up and down and twirling around. I thought, that's crazy. It's actually quite biblical <laughs> if it's true and it's genuine. What it's saying is we ought to get pretty excited about this opportunity to get into God's presence, to know him. Oh, Yahweh, to know the I am that I am, the self-existent one, the one who cares about his people and comes down to deliver them, the Almighty, the one who's able to do it, the Lord of hosts, the Mountain God, the one that will provide with all you need. But then it says, my king, my God. Wow, there's a couple of others. My king. You know, we put a lot of stock in Washington, leaders. To a certain extent, God uses them, but there's only one king. My king, my God. This Yahweh, this Almighty One, can be personal to where you'd say he's mine. He's my king. He's my God. Now, God is generic. It starts out in the book of Genesis. In the beginning, God created. And it's Elohim. It's, it's actually one God, three persons, which gives hints of coming attractions about Jesus Christ and the whole trinity. But... Uh, my God, but also my king. And that's where the rub comes, because a king has authority. It's not just about belief, it's also about behavior. It's not just creed, it's conduct. It's not just doctrine, it's duty. <laughs> Where uh, you're walking through the book of Ephesians, and unless... Jordan tells me I did terrible and not coming back. I'm to teach Ephesians chapter 4, uh, the first few verses, where Ephesians makes a major change from three chapters of primarily doctrine, and then chapter 4, verse on, 1 on, it says, Now, what do you do in light of that? 
Walk worthy of this high calling we've been talking about for three chapters. Always duty comes with the doctrine. There's always a responsibility for the great privileges. Oh, Lord Almighty, my King and my God. You know, every Orthodox Jew, when they uh, pray over a meal, they say this, uh, Baruch Atah. It means this. Blessed art thou, Lord God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread out of the earth. <laughs> when uh, our grandchildren used to live here, little Benjamin, I taught him that as a little kid, as a prayer in Hebrew. We went to Bob Evans, and I had him pray that out loud, and people were looking. And then I've got this uh, Orthodox Jewish friend. I said, hey, Avram, I said... And I didn't think of it this way. I said, I had my little grandson uh, say the, the food blessing at Bob Evans, and you ought to have seen the people looking at him. And he looked at me, and he said, I'm certain that's the first time that prayer was ever prayed at Bob Evans. You know, they're, they're kosher. <laughs> and Bob Evans is not a kosher place. It's not a place a Jew would go. <laughs> I said, yeah, I guess you're right about that. But can you imagine every time you pray over a meal, you say, Blessed art thou, Lord God, King of this universe, who brings bread out of the earth. And bread doesn't mean just bread. It means everything I need you give. That's a, a live, living God experience. My God. Can you say my, my God? My Savior? But can we say my king? That's where sometimes the rub comes. I believe all this, but I don't know that I believe it enough that I'll trust it fully. The next verse says, Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. You know, the word blessed is an interesting word. It actually means, it comes from the word knee, and it means to kneel down. Literally, when you ask God to bless you, you're saying to God, would you kneel down to me? And I think we've all come across a child, and we go down on our knee, and we look him in the eye. That's what you're asking God to do. Make me the apple of your eye. Look straight at me, God. Look at me face to face. Pay attention to me, God. God, would you kneel down to me? Those whom God has kneeled down to... Those who dwell in his house, settle down in his presence, they're ever praising you. Selah. Selah. That's the title of the sermon, and uh, we're going to sing it, or uh, I think maybe it was in this morning's. It means to pause calmly and reflect. We don't do enough of that, do we? There's not enough selah in our lives. But what it's saying is, this, but basically, you ought to stop right now, don't preach anymore, and just everybody go home and think about what's already been said. It's, been, it's rich, it's deep. We ought to really think long and hard about the implications of what we've just studied. That those who are blessed by God, they're ever praising Him. That doesn't mean all the circumstances are perfect. But you can rest in His care. And that's what the next phrase goes into. Look here, it says, Blessed are those whose strength is in you, who have set their hearts on 
pilgrimage. There's that word. Blessed. Now, there's another word for bless. The one who blesses is the one that kneels down. But what about the recipient, the child, that gets the blessing? That person is a different word, and it's actually the word happy. Happy is the person, but not just happy like in nice happenings. It means happy down to the deep depths of your soul. Now, we think of happiness as like uh, happenings are, are going well. No, to the very core of your being, you're more like uh, that Duck Dynasty guy, Phil Robertson. Happy, happy, happy. <laughs> happy to the core of my being. Now, he said his happiness came from uh, family, faith, and fowl. <laughs> Ducks, because he made a lot of money off ducks. Duck calls, right? But what it is saying is the truly happy person is the one whose strength is in God to live out his calling upon your life and who have set their hearts upon a pilgrimage. I shared that a pilgrimage is the fact that we're going somewhere. We're pilgrims. The book of Hebrews talks about the heroes of the faith and it says that they were, they were aliens. They admitted it on this earth. They lived in tents. They wandered. But they were going somewhere to a city that God had built and that's all of our lots that down here on this earth we should we're not to be settlers to just dig in and hold on for life we're here for a short period of time we're also not tourists that just want to wander around aimlessly looking for a good time no we are people on a journey going to a particular destination and that changes everything we need strength for that journey because it isn't always an easy journey. And the psalmist is, is really honest about this. Look at the next verse. It says, as they go through the valley of Baca. And look at the picture there. No one knows exactly where the valley of Baca is. Today there's a valley of Baca up in Lebanon. But that wouldn't have been what was being talked about. But it probably is like this. The word Baca, they believe, means weeping or willows, <laughs> and it has the implication that it's a it's an arid land, and it's it's a dry spell. It's tough terrain to go through. It doesn't say if they were to ever go through the valley of Baca, but as they go through the valley of Baca, meaning this: when God takes us on His journey on His path, like the children of Israel. It isn't always an easy journey, but it's the journey that he wants us on. He guides us through it. It says, when you go pass through the valley of Baca. I'm positive this morning that a lot of folks here are right now going through the valley of Baca, the valley of weeping. Things aren't gone so well from a human perspective. And you may be wondering, God, why in the world have you brought me through this? This is a difficult chapter of life, God. It's dried up. I feel like I'm going to die. There's, there's no, no uh, satisfying of the soul's thirst here. It's a scary place, God. It could be through relationships, through finances, through a multitude of things that we all walk through at some time. And that's the key that we all, as Christians, walk through at some time. You may be having a sunny day today in your life, but I promise you, storm clouds are gathering. <laughs> There's always a storm on the way. No one 
gets to heaven without going through the valley of Baca. No one got to Jerusalem without going through difficult terrain. I don't care what direction you come from, north, south, east, or west. When you travel up to Jerusalem like these, these ancient worshipers, you go through difficult terrain. I think it's 60% of Israel is deserts. Uh, to get to Jerusalem to worship, to have that intimacy with God, you had to walk through some difficult terrain. God had it there for a purpose because he wants to teach you some things about himself. We go on in this verse, and it, it then says, as they walk through the valley of Baca, uh, they make it a place of springs. Huh. This one I gave a lot of long, hard thought to. They, it doesn't say God makes it a place of, of, of springs. There's some personal responsibility that when you're going through a difficulty, you yourself have a responsibility to go find the spring. One translation says wells. They make it a place of wells. You got to dig a well. Springs, I learned on the Appalachian Trail when I hiked it, if you're real quiet, sometimes you can hear a gurgling spring up high. But you know what the problem is? You got to walk up there to get it. Now, you could get some water right down here that you'll probably get giardia from, and you'll get sick from, has animal feces in it. But if you'll do some work and climb that mountain, you can get to the source, no matter how dry of a terrain you're in, and there's water up high. When we go through a difficult time, we have a responsibility to find the spring. That's why you fill yourself up with the Word of God ahead of time. You go to the Word of God. You go to fellow believers for prayer. You pray. You seek God. And you know what? You'll hear that gurgling sound. God will start speaking to you. He'll give you a drink. Even in the Valley of Baca, because he wants you to know, just like the children of Israel had to learn, that I am the king of the universe, and I can bring water out of a rock. He wants that to be our story, too, that we say, you know, God... I was going through the most difficult time, and God miraculously brought water out of a rock for me. But I had to go dig a well. I had to climb a mountain and get to the spring. But also it says, and the autumn um, rains also cover it with pools. That's God's part. There's no one here that's gone through the Valley of Baca, come out the other side, and is walking with God that can't look back and say, as difficult as that is, don't we always hear this? It was during that difficult time that God was the most real to me. That's, that's when I, I, I got the thirst that satisfied. That's when I found in the refrigerator of life the thing I was really looking for wasn't during the party times, but during the pity times, during that Baca experience. I'm certain we could string people up here. And if we ask you, what was the most intimate time in your life with God it would have been a difficult time. You'd say, well, it was during the Valley of Baca that I really, really came to know the living God. So God wants us to go through that valley so that we get to know him. And he says, you'll do some work. All the water comes from me. But then also, I'll just surprise you with autumn rains. The rains will come. That day will be over. You'll come out the other side. And this will be your story. They go from strength to strength. 
till each appears before God in Zion. Every day they get up and they think, I'm going to pursue God today, but I need strength for the journey. I don't have strength to go through this. I don't have strength to make it all the way. You don't need it. You need it for today. Strength for today and great hope for tomorrow. Great is thy faithfulness, right? You know the song. Great is thy faithfulness. And again, if we could string people up here, I think we'd all say, you know, I was going through this really good, difficult time, and I didn't think I had enough strength to make it through the day. And I made it through that day. I got up the next morning. His compassions are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. He got me through that day, through that strength, through that strength, through that strength. And now I look back, and it's like, wow, strength, strength, strength for everything that came my way. I was on a journey, and God provided the strength for the journey until I arrived in Jerusalem for them to where God had graciously had a place where they could go meet with him until each appears before God in Zion. Zion, um, this was David's uh, tabernacle, perhaps. Uh, scholars aren't sure whether it was that or Solomon's temple. Uh, till each appears before God in Zion. Zion is, is Jerusalem today. Um, the place where God dwells. In our story, we're going to walk through life, develop our story until each of us. That's, that's awesome. You know, you won't answer for Community Gospel Church. You'll answer for yourself and your own personal journey. Until each appears before God in Zion. And we are in his presence. One day we're all going to die. We're going to be in his presence. And then uh, we're going to have the review of our, our pilgrimage down here. Listen to this last verse that we're covering today. He cries out. Hear my prayer, O Lord God Almighty. <laughs> Calling upon the God who is Yahweh El Shaddai the God of all the armies, listen to me. You expect him to listen to you when you failed so badly in your journey? And then my favorite, favorite Old Testament title for God, O God of Jacob. It's really interesting. God was fond of changing names. But after he changed Abram's name to Abraham, he never called him Abraham again. And that's generally how it was. But not true of Jacob. You know, I learned the other day, and I'm certain some of you know this, you hunters, I never knew this. I saw it on the Nature Channel. What is a, tom, a young Tom Turkey called? A Jake. <laughs> Jacob was a turkey. He was. He was a young Tom Turkey. He was a scoundrel. His very name, Jacob, means trickster or deceiver, the one who grabs at his brother's heel and pulls him back to get himself ahead, and that was pretty much his story until one night he had a wrestling match with God, and God won. And God says, now I'm going to name you Israel, which means he who wrestled with God and prevailed and through that experience became a prince of God. 
takes that much to explain what the word Israel means. Now, if you were given this new name Israel, wouldn't you expect God to call you from then on? I'm the God of Israel. No, he does at times, but 22 times God calls himself to encourage people that are Jakes, that are turkeys. Hey, remember, I'm the God of Jacob. I'm the God of the ones who haven't yet quite arrived. They're not quite Israel yet. They're still in their process. And if you look at his whole life, he, uh, he never quite got over being Jacob to his last days, but he certainly was a lot different than he was in his early days, and that's going to be our story too. I'm glad that it says, O God of Jacob, instead of O God of Israel, because I'd think, well, it's not for me, because I'm no Israel. There's still a lot of the old Craig in me. And um, the God of Jacob, and it says, Selah, think about this. You know, uh, in 2013, I hiked that entire Appalachian Trail. It took a half year, 2,186 miles. My legs did fine until I came home. My son was living in Wyoming. Jan and I crawled in a car, and we drove to Wyoming. My legs locked up. And it's common, I guess, after that. It's called hiker's hobble. After you get done, that's when all the pain sets in. And your legs just ache. And here, I just, you know, man, I'm Hoosier. I just got done hiking across 2,000 miles of mountains. And I can't even walk to a uh, roadside rest restroom. Get out of the car, look like I'm 100 years old. Getting out, going like this, you know. My legs just locked up on me. I could hardly move. And I thought, man, is this my lot in life? And I was really feeling bad. Like maybe I did, overdid my legs, and this is where I'm at for the rest of my life. We were driving along, and out in the middle of nowhere of, I think it was uh, South Dakota, there was a sign. The only one that did not say wall drugs, by the way, if you've been out there. <laughs> And it said, if you can imagine, I'm, I'm sitting there in the car, froze up, thinking this way, and there's a big sign, and it says, Urgent Care Center. Walk-ins and limp-ins welcome. <laughs> and I thought, now that's the place for me, I tell you. Well, I didn't end up going there, and this finally came through. Do you still limp? The last day of his life, or the last expressions of his life, it says that Jacob was leaning on his staff. <laughs> and he breathed his last, and he pulled his legs up into his bed and breathed his last. He didn't need his legs nor his lungs anymore. Until the day that we finish our pilgrimage, we're going to be a lot like Jacob. We're going to stumble, we're going to fall, we're going to get back up. We're going to limp through life. It's because we wrestled with God. And aren't you glad that he calls himself the God of Jacob and not the God of the finished product? Don't give up on the journey. You're going to go through the Valley of Baca. It's going to be terrible. You'll think you don't have the strength for it. You'll think there's no end. You come out the other side, you look back, and it's like God provided during that time because he is the mountain God. He's the almighty. He, he, he's El Shaddai. He's the breast 
of all humanity that gives us all our needs. And more than anything else, he wants us to know him as the living God, not the historic God. He loves us so much that eventually you don't have to go to Jerusalem to worship. You know where you go? Right here. Right here. One last story. In Israel, there's a place called Nazareth Village. Pretty tied to here because Leroy Troyer of Troyer uh, Architectural Firms, he was uh, one of the big masterminds and financiers of this little place in, in Nazareth called Nazareth Village, which is a re-enactment re in construction of ancient Nazareth. You walk through it, it's just amazing as you walk through. And we had this little Palestinian Christian girl guide. She's probably college age and a fiery little girl. And uh, she guided us through that. And at the very end, you go into a synagogue, and she talked about what synagogue worship was like. And then she got really passionate and talked about Jesus and him being the ultimate sacrifice. And um, Palestinian Christians have it really rough. They get it from both sides. Uh, nobody likes Palestinian Christians. And afterwards, I stayed back, and I went up to this little girl, and I said, you're Palestinian Christian. She said, yes. I said, you really believed what you said, didn't you? And she looked at me. It was just me and her. And she goes, everybody over here is fighting over land. I'll tell you the land God wants. God wants that land right there. I thought, I can go home now. That's, that was enough to come over to Israel for, just that little girl. God, people fight about how to worship, where to worship. I tell you where God wants to worship in spirit and truth, right there in your soul, right? That's where he dwells with those who've accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior, came to that altar, and they've come to know the living God. Amen? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I pray if there's anyone here who has not made that decision, they'd make it now, that uh, they give you their hearts. And then, Jesus, I pray that we would be a people who know the living God because we've been those who've accepted Christ as our Savior. And we know the Almighty, and we trust him to take us on our pilgrimage through life and to one day hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. We pray this in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen, amen. God bless. Thank you for listening to the Community Gospel Church Podcast. If you would like to support this ministry financially, simply log on to communitygospelchurch.com and click the Contribute tab. 